loved ones, one of the greatest hindrances to spiritual revival is spiritual blindness. One of the greatest hindrances to spiritual revival, whether in a life, in a leader, in a church, is spiritual blindness. There are families, there are leadership teams, there are churches sitting in stagnancy because they can't see their sin. Welcome back to Live in the Light. Today we're walking through a much loved, a much familiar passage, Psalm 51. Psalm 51 really needs no introduction for many of us. It's the place that God finds David in when David is confronted with the great sin of Bathsheba. And these words that sit before us in scripture in Psalm 51 lay out what David's heart goes through in that process of confessing sin, in that process of sensing the great cleansing from the Lord, and in the conviction for the things of the Lord. Well, if that's you today and you're looking for things like that, if you're looking to grow in godliness, if you're looking to find the love of the Lord upon your heart and the great promise of forgiveness of sins, well, we are so glad that you've joined us here today at Live in the Light. We started a brand new series yesterday, and if you're interested in more or getting a copy of yesterday's message, or even in fact ordering the whole series, we'd encourage you to go online and visit us at liveinthelight.ca. That's liveinthelight.ca. Or you can phone us up at 1-844-22-LIGHT. That's 1-844-22-L-I-G-H-T. All right, well, a heart of confession sits before us today, Psalm 51, and here now is our teacher, Pastor Robbie Simons. Notice in verses one and two, notice three words used for sin. Can you find them there? Three used words for sin, transgressions, iniquity, and sin. But notice also in verses one and two, three used words for God's love or God's mercy. Mercy, steadfast love, and abundant mercy, which means compassion. This is so awesome. So hear this truth. For every act of sin, ready, loved ones? There's an offer of grace. For every act of sin, whether it be transgression or iniquity and sin, there's an offer of grace and mercy and steadfast love and abundant mercy. As awful as David's sin is, and ours is too, more amazing is the grace and mercy of God. Transgression here refers to our rebellion against God. Iniquity here refers to our perversion or our depravity of our nature. Sin here refers to falling short of the mark that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Transgression, iniquity, sin, bad news, met with the good news, mercy, steadfast love, and abundant mercy. The mercy of God is his unmerited loving assistance to those who are found to be pitiful, us. Steadfast love is an inexhaustible supply of God's love. His abundant mercy is his compassion. He feels our hurt. He sees us in our devastation. He cares and he calls us to be restored to himself. You see, so this is the heart of confession. The genuine heart of confession sees sin, but more the genuine heart of confession sees mercy even more. Notice David, 
He says, blot out. He says, wash me. He says, cleanse me. How does David view his sin? As absolute filth. But he sees the mercy of his God again as even greater. I want you to see that where there's transgression, you find mercy. Where there's iniquity, you find steadfast love. Where there's sin, you find abundant mercy. So may we see our sin. These things go together. May we see our sin. May we see his mercy even more. May we understand the reality of our sin, but even more, we understand the mercy and the love and the grace of our God that meets us there if we ask him. If you and I have a genuine heart of confession, we cry out for mercy. We cry out for mercy. And secondly, we do this. We suddenly see clearly. If I have a genuine heart of confession, I will suddenly see clearly. Look at verse three. Verse three, he says, for I know, for I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me against you. You only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Loved ones, one of the greatest hindrances to spiritual revival is spiritual blindness. One of the greatest hindrances to spiritual revival, whether in a life, in a leader, in a church, is spiritual blindness. There are families, there are leadership teams, there are churches sitting in stagnancy because they can't see their sin. If you can't see your sin, then you can't own your sin. You can't own your sin, you can't be freed from that. In John chapter seven, Jesus said, whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart, everything's about the heart. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart, everything is about the heart. Again, again, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. If the roots are bad, the fruit is bad. If the tree's not gonna be healthy, the heart's not healthy. Out of his heart will flow, will flow rivers of living water. This isn't stagnant, unmoving water. Out of his heart, as belief comes, will flow rivers of living water. The very next verse in John says this. It says that this was about the Spirit. And he said this about the Spirit, capital S, Holy Spirit, who would live within his disciples. Hard flow rivers are to occur through the life of the believer who sees clearly and actively pursuing his God. Now let's get our theology straight just for a second. Regeneration is the theological term for when we are born again, when we go from death to life, when we are made as new creations, and a regeneration, we are baptized with the Holy Spirit once and for all, never to leave us again. That's regeneration. That's born again. That's, again, becoming a new creation. But we also know from Scripture, even though the Holy Spirit can never leave us, we do know from Scripture we can quench the Spirit of God in our lives. We can grieve the Spirit of God within our lives. And the quickest way to quench the Holy Spirit in your life is to be blind to sin within your life. See, and this is what makes Psalm 51 so powerful. Look what David does. He says, I know my transgressions. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. I love right here, David, he's just, he's so transparent. And, there, and, there, and there, there's just no excuse. There's no blame anywhere but himself. He says, I see my sin. I know my transgressions. My sin is ever before me. David committed adultery. David committed murder. And you need to know too, for a year's time, he tried to hide and rationalize this behavior. He tried to go along this path and this plan of making it seem something that it wasn't. But in the end, truth caught up to him. And the reality of what he had done, no longer could he cover it up. Loved ones, learn this from David's life. Sin left unchecked will breed more sin. 
sin left unchecked, it will breed, it will breed more sin. It's devastating to see what starts off as a little lie. But in order to cover the little lie, you got to tell a bit of a greater lie. In order to cover the little lie and the greater lie, you got to tell a really big lie. And the process goes on. If you never get back to the root of what happened in the first place, your sin starts as a little innocent thing, so to speak. And then it grows and it grows and it grows till it's this massive blotch of filth behind you. And you're trying to cover it up so no one can see. But the reality is it's only a matter of time before that thing gets burst and it explodes in a disgusting filth all over you and all over all the people you love as well. That's the devastation of sin. You try to make one lie, another lie, another lie, another lie, excuse, excuse, rationalize. The whole time we have this massive time bomb ticking and it's gonna go. God will make sure of it because he loves you too much that when it goes off, what a mess. What a mess. See, because God loved David so much, what did he do? He sent Nathan. He sent Nathan. He sent Nathan to tell him what was true. And Nathan comes up and revealed by God, he tells David a story. He says, David, there were two men. One was really rich and one was poor. The rich man had all the money and all the flocks and sheep and goats that he could want. And he was enjoying his lavish lifestyle. But the poor man, he had really nothing. He had one little ewe lamb. And this one little lamb, man, he, he was so tender with it and he cared for it. And he even treated the lamb and his children like it was his daughter. It says that in the Bible. And as this lamb was his daughter and he fed it and held it in his arms, the only lamb that he had, but a traveler came into the city and the rich man was so selfish. He didn't want to take anything that he had, even though he had an abundance. So he goes and he takes the little precious lamb from this poor man, the only lamb he had. He takes it, kills it, prepares it and gives it to the traveler. What do you think about that, David? David hears the story. He's incensed. He's indignant and he's furious. And he says, as the Lord lives, that man deserves to die. And what becomes one of the more famous statements in scripture, Nathan then turns to David and says, David, you are that man. Now, right here, loved ones, right here, this is a defining moment in the life of David. David has two options at this point when his sin is revealed and confronted to him. He can either pry it up or he can either break down. He can pride up in his excuses, his blame, his rationalization, just eliminating the people that are coming against him, or he can choose to break down. Pride always blinds us to reality. Humility always causes us to see clearly. How many men and women have been brought down by God because they are not willing to be broken down? How many men and women have been brought down by God because they are not willing in their pride to break down? We have to see the moment we break down those, the moment we're built up by the Lord. Because God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And it's here. See, this is where I give David so much credit. As awful as his sin was, it's here. The reason he's called a man after God's own heart is he knows what's right in this moment. And he chooses to break down as opposed to pride up. Nathan explains the details of David's sin. And David, all he can cry is this, I've sinned against the Lord. I've sinned against the Lord. I've sinned against the Lord. And this becomes a massive turning point in David's life. Are there consequences for his sin? Yes, there are. His life would never be the same in some respects. But the reality also even more is the powerful mercy and love and grace of God that meets David in a time when he deserves it not. And in verse four of our Psalm, this is when David says, against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. 
Against you, God, you only have I sinned. Now, it's not that David's sin was not against Uriah or Bathsheba. And really his sin was against the entire Jewish kingdom. It was, all the people were affected. But here's what's so key and stay with me here. Murder in our land is a crime. It's a crime against the laws of of our land. But only before God does it become a sin. Because only before God is it breaking the law of God. Murder in our land is a crime. Only before God does it become a sin. And that's what's so devastating about sin. Ultimately, sin is an offense to God. Sin is an offense. See, David, because his heart of confession is so real, he's crying out for mercy and he sees so clearly, all he sees is the fact that I have sinned against my God. And this, when this theology is understood in the mind and affects the heart, this becomes your greatest deterrent from sin. The reality is against some of us here, we are sinning behind locked doors and we find ourselves in dark rooms and we think no one sees. We are committing these indecent acts in different ways and we're, uh, we're hiding because if it ever brought to light, we feel so shame. And we think behind those locked doors and in those dark rooms, we are doing things again, no one knows. What you have to understand, what you have to know what is true, behind those locked doors and in that dark room, the sin that you are committing is being committed in the very presence of God. The holy presence of God is everywhere at all times. You cannot escape that. When we are engaging in these things, it is before and in the presence of God himself. When you think about that and you believe that to be true, it changes everything as to how you behave and who you want to be. That becomes the greatest desire for my life, for my wife, for my family, for the leaders of this church, for the people of this church, that you and I will know first and foremost, our greatest deterrent is to live in the holy fear of an awesome and righteous and loving God who cares for us so much that we would not want to ever cheat on him. That's why I've said in the past, and I say it again, before I cheat on my wife, I cheat on my God. Before a wife cheats on her husband, she cheats on her God. And if that doesn't bring fear into the heart, the cries go up to God in a whole different way. Oh God, open the eyes that they might see. Open our eyes that we might see, oh Lord. Please, loved ones, notice in verse four, and done what is evil in your sight. The adultery, the murder, God saw it all. The lies, God saw it all. In your sight, God, in your sight. May may that phrase stick with you forever. That when you're tempted to do something you should not do, that you would hear in your heart and mind, in your sight, oh God. In your sight, See, and this is when the heart of confession becomes so real. You see so clearly. And when you see so clearly, it breaks you, it humbles you, it crushes you beautifully though, beautifully. And in so, so much so, the end of verse four, David says, so that your words, that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. You know what David's doing here? He's basically, he's full surrender. And he's like, God, you're, 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 you're totally, I'm in total agreement with you. I have no defense. I have no rebuttal. I'm not even gonna try to give any kind of uh, argument back. Just, I, I agree with you. You're right, God. I totally surrendered. I have sinned. You are holy. I'm at your mercy. Oh God, oh God, in grace and love, here I am. Do what you will. You're blameless in your judgment. That's the genuine heart of confession. 
Again, see what happens here? No excuses. Man, we make excuses. No rationalization. Man, we rationalize. No fault finding. Man, we do that a lot. Notice this about a genuine heart of confession. It takes total ownership for sin. It just owns its own sin. And I'm telling you, loved ones, this is a difference maker in the Christian life. For people who are willing in their humility and right theology before God to own their sin and not make excuses, that will become a difference maker in your life. You try to cover it up, it's gonna come back and hurt you bad. Here's a poem that explains this. A little beautiful, cute poem. It says, the sins that would entangle us must never be ignored. For if we try to cover them, they'll pierce us like a sword. When the sins are exposed, the power at that moment to, to own them, to own them, to push pride aside, to receive the truth. Listen, to own your own sin. You can't lose when you own your sin. You can't lose. It's hard, I know. It takes so much humility, so much faith in God, but you cannot lose when you own your sin. I'm telling you the marriages, all oh, the marriages that will be blessed if the husband or the wife would own their sin. I've been in situations in the past in my own marriage, I got a lot of sin in my life. The ability in this one, do I believe what God says or do I think I'm smarter than God? If I believe what God says, I got to own my sin. To stare my wife in the face in the midst of an argument or something that has happened and my pride says, be right, be right, be right and argue it's her fault and this and that. But to stand in the moment and to humble myself before God first and to say, Love, I have sinned. I was wrong. I need your forgiveness. I have literally seen my wife's face go from we're in a battle. I need to defend myself. I've literally seen her face and her eyes and her cheeks soften before me as I take ownership of the sin. And all of a sudden, it goes from a fight. It goes from a time where it softens and God works and God's spirit and the reconciliation begins to happen because I believe enough in the humility to say, I am responsible for my sin. What about her? What about she? Do? She said this. Who cares about that? Who cares about you? You care about you. And you trust God with you. And you watch and see what God does. You see if he honors that. But she's going to do this. No, 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 no. Care about you own your sin and see what happens. Why don't we do that in our marriages? Because we're stupid. <laughs> true, it's true. Pride is dumb. In our pride, we think we're smart and we're gonna win and we're only putting another nail in the coffin of our misery. How many marriages have I seen? Hurtful, his fault, hurtful, his fault. Just be quiet. And read Psalm, just, 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 just have enough humility saying you win when you own your sin. Think of the leadership. The churches own their sin. All the excuses and all the blame. Think of the Christian life. It's a difference maker for the Christian life. That's what David does here, man. There's just, there's just not one excuse coming. He's like, you're right, God. And notice how quickly God rushes to him. I mean, the next two weeks are going to unpack his heart being cleansed and his resolve being restored. It's so beautiful. Think of how much we forfeit because we're not willing to trust the Lord and the things that matter most. See, but before you can own your sin, you got to see your sin. And it just so happens, David, again, he's a wonderful, amazing man in so many respects. He wrote this in Psalm 139. I mean, he got this stuff, right? Right? 
He lived it. Search me, O God, and know my heart. I mean, this is a great prayer. You're like, well, I don't, I'm not really sure the sin. I, you pray this prayer with a genuine desire before God. And I just, Lord, I pray you'd show us. Search me, O God. Search me and know me. Know my heart. It's all about the heart. Everything's about the heart. Heart. Try me, know my thoughts. So search me, know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me. So you see, Lord, search, try, see any offensive way in me, but lead me in the way everlasting. You take this prayer this week. You search for the Lord to speak to you. I think he's going to answer that. And when you see the sin, put it on the table and put a knife through it by the mercy of God. Watch him cleanse. Maybe that's going to happen even even today, a heart of confession that cries out for mercy. And it suddenly, suddenly it sees so clearly. Thirdly, this, it, it judges sin rightly. A heart of confession judges sin rightly. Look at verse five. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and sinned and my mother conceived me. I want you to see this, Kay, where there's genuine confession, there's genuine wisdom. But a lack of genuine confession will be a lack of genuine wisdom. See, where's the wisdom? It's, it's how much he sees and understands. I mean, David is getting his theology so right. And his theology here leads to great strength when it's properly applied. But the individual who's filled with pride and denial and continuous blame on others, they're carrying around very bad theology. But David here, he's thinking clearly, seeing clearly, and therefore he's speaking clearly and he sees the source of his sin, ready? Himself. Notice the behold in, in verse five. It's, I think it's like David is seeing his sin in a way he's never seen before. Behold, he says, I was brought forth in iniquity. So it's not that adultery and murder was a, a, a mistake and otherwise a great heart and a great life. No, what he's saying here, what he's saying here is that his heart has never been good to begin with. He's helping us understand here, this is a good sentence, that corrupt actions flow from a corrupt nature. Corrupt actions flow from a corrupt nature. I mean, you and I both know you don't have to teach a child to sin. They just get that on their own. Little toddlers can be some of the most egomaniac, self-centered, I'm the center of the world people I've ever seen, ever. Where do they get that from? Their nature, where do they get that from? Adam. That's what David, he's not blaming his mom for his sin. He's not saying that the conception of him was in sin. He's understanding this is called the doctrine of original sin. And since Adam sinned, all have sinned. We are born with sin and we prove it. We prove it with our lives. G.K. Chesterton, great author of the late 19th century, early 20th century, in response to an article from a newspaper that was asking the question, what's wrong with the world today? And G.K. Chesterton, he was succinct, he was brilliant. He, he wrote back and in response to what's wrong with the world today, he says, dear sirs, I am yours, G.K. Chesterton. What's wrong with the world today? G.K. says, I am. That's a good answer. I am. That's what's wrong with the world. And that's why we're in desperate need of Jesus Christ. See, to judge our sin rightly so that we can see the solution correctly. See, one of the ways you know you have a genuine heart of confession, less and less you're concerned with the sins of others, less and less you see the speck in someone else's eye. 
and more and more you're, you're, you're noticing the log that is in your own and you care about it a lot. This is when you judge sin rightly. A heart of confession cries out for mercy, suddenly sees clearly, judges sin rightly. And lastly, fourthly, it pursues powerful purity. This is exciting. A genuine heart of confession, man, they want purity because they see the mercy of God, the love of God, the grace of God. Let me ask you, this whole event of David's life, what is God most after? Verse six, verse six. You delight in truth in the inward being heart. You teach me wisdom in the secret heart, of course, heart. Why did God send Nathan to David? Remember, God sent Nathan. Why? Because God loves David. Why did David get confronted in sin and his sin? Because God loves David. Why did God call David to repentance and confession? Because God loves David. Why does God call you to confession and repentance and me? Because he loves you and he loves me. He loves us too much to let us stray. Why does repentance hurt? Because in the devastation of sin, then we find the life-giving grace and mercy of our God. Why does God not let you stray? Because he loves you. And why does he want to love you? Because he wants your heart. The greatest thing God wants is your heart. When he has your heart, he's got you. And when he's got you, you see him. And when you see him, you know joy, you know freedom, you know blessing, you know grace, you know love. You are satisfied in your soul because there's nothing like being filled with the holy power of the living God. What does God want from David? He wants his heart. He delights in truth in the inward being. He delights in wisdom in the secret heart. Loved ones, God is not into an external show of Christianese. He is not into a pharisaical approach of outward self-righteous behavior. He doesn't care about that. God cares about the heart. He cares about the heart. I mean, just in our very song, my favorite verses in scripture, the sacrifices of God are a broken, a broken, what does it say? Spirit, a broken and contrite heart. That's what God loves. He wants our heart. So what does genuine confession do? It invites a purity of the heart. Listen, no matter what you've done, no matter how bad you've been, no matter how far you've gone, genuine confession invites the mercy and purity of God into your life. Why, why? The moment we genuinely confess our sins before God, waves of mercy come. I mean, just, you've been in the ocean surf before and the, the waves keep coming and coming and they keep coming in and washing over you. That's the mercy of God, just inexhaustible in supply. You confess to him, the waves of mercy keep coming and the showers of grace, the showers of grace, the showers of grace that cleanse you. And this is where freedom is known. This is where joy is known. Your sinful nature hates it. The Holy Spirit within you loves it. So today's an opportunity for truth in the inward being and wisdom in the secret heart. Loved ones today, loved ones today, together, together. Listen, stop running. Stop blaming. Stop making excuses. And start receiving forgiveness for your sins in Jesus Christ. Again, what did David what did David know? He knew that his sin was great. He knew that his savior was greater. He knew his sin was great. He knew the grace of his God was greater. That's why he cried out for mercy. We must do the same. Stop running. Some of you are here today. You've never known forgiveness of sins in Jesus Christ. Repent of your sins. Turn, turn to the only one who can save you. He died for you. He died for you that you might be free. 
Let him love you. There are Christians here today that you've been straying from God and quenching the Holy Spirit in your life. Confess your sins to God. Give your heart to him. Allow the genuine heart of confession to take root in your life, to bear fruit in your life. I ask you, I ask you, where are you today? Does this message apply to you? And if it does, then you gotta give your heart to the Lord. And listen, why does he speak to us like this? Because he loves us. Listen, he loves you. He loves you. He loves you enough to call you back. Heart of confession sees this, loves it, and invites it. God, make us pure. Hey, if you're looking for more Bible teaching, we have many of Pastor Robbie's previous Live in the Light messages available for you to listen to at any time on our website, liveinthelight.ca. We also have our daily program and podcast form so you can listen easily on the go or hanging out at home. If you have any questions about who we are or want to share a story about what God is doing in your life, we would love to hear from you. Give us a call at 1-844-22-LIGHT or use the contact page on our website. Catch you next time here at Live in the Light. I wanna-